There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. May I speak and may you hear in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's a great privilege to be here with you um, this summer. Sorry that there's not a confirmation, but a good reason to be here anyway um, with both congregations. 
and to look at this passage from 2 Corinthians 9 and the holy habit of sacrificial giving in your series. I don't know you heard that story about the vicar who was preoccupied with thoughts of how after the service he was going to have to ask the congregation to come up with more money than they were expecting for the repairs of the church building. And so he got to the service and he was mulling over in his mind how he's going to best going to do it. He was a bit annoyed to find that the regular organist was sick and a substitute had been brought in at the last minute. And the substitute wanted to know what to play and was asking lots of questions. And he said, well, here's a copy of the service, um, but you'll have to think about what you're going to play after I make the announcement about the finances. And then he pushed off into the vestry. So during the service, the the vicar paused and towards the end said, look, brothers and sisters, we are in great difficulty. The roof repairs cost twice as much as was expected and we now need £40,000 more. It was a great intake of breath in the congregation. Any of you who can pledge £1,000 or more, please stand up. And at that minute the substitute organist played the national anthem. (laughs) And that's how the substitute organist became the regular organist. You've got to make the most of your opportunities. And actually, that's really what Paul is doing um, in this letter. You you really want to go back and read chapter 8 as the run-up to chapter 9. Um... Because reluctance to give is not a new thing. You know, we all know that thing about um, it's there in the heart of humankind and we know the last thing to be converted is our wallet and all that sort of thing. Well, it is probably, it is true. But Paul is aware of the difficulty the Corinthians are having. There's a famine in Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem is really struggling. And the Corinthians had promised to make an offering to help. They'd almost said, yes, we'll do that. We're going to do it. Um, But they're being slow in coming up with the money, in completing what they said they would do, putting words into deeds. They are reluctant givers. Um, And so that's why chapter 8. And Paul is writing, telling them how the grace of God has been seen in action through the Macedonian church. And you'll see at the beginning of chapter 9, it says they they only started to give because they saw the Corinthians were going to give. That's a good idea. We'd love to join with them in giving this gift to the Jerusalem church who was struggling so much. So Paul's now writing saying, well, yeah, the Macedonian church have come up with the goods. Uh, They were very poor, but they have overflowed in generosity. They gave beyond their ability. In fact, they begged for the privilege to share with you in this offering. And so he's applying pressure on the Corinthian church in his letter in a quite incredible way. He, he says, I'm going to send Titus to help you get the, the offering together. I'm going to send one of mine. And then, in Chandler, and then I'm going to send someone from Macedonia, one of the Macedonian churches from this poor church that have been so generous. I mean, how galling that must have been for the Corinthian church. They're going to send someone from this generous church to come and help us. Um, And 
they'll come with me. So there's a sense that Paul himself is going to come. Um, so bit by bit, he adds a bit of pressure. But saying he doesn't want them to give their gift grudgingly, which is partly why he's writing the letter. So he appeals to them. And he cites the examples of the Macedonian church. And then he talks about, of course, Jesus Christ, who, though rich, for our sakes became poor, so that out of his poverty he would make us rich. He gave all. He left everything. Um, I mean, one of the most striking things um, for me, you know, we, you sort of, I think I, I came to Christ age 13, but I had a sort of almost a, another conversion at, at 18. Um, and I've told you this, but I'll... I'll briefly when I was selling encyclopedia and I was in this Maori family they couldn't afford these encyclopedia and I was going out the door because I need to make the money and the, 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 the husband the father said would you like to stay for supper Mark and I stayed because um, I was always hungry um, and I had to look after the children there were about five children under the age of eight they made the supper in the back room in the kitchen they came out they had a simple wooden table and they had this bowl of nettles, stewed nettles, puha, was their national dish for Maoris. And they had that little, a little lamb chop on the top. And um, the father said, we must say grace. And he gave thanks to God for his bountifulness. And thank you for bringing Mark to be with us for supper and all this sort of thing. And thank you for being good to us. And then he served out the food and he, he gave me the lamb chop. And, you know... Five children, those two, they just had stewed nettles and they gave me the lamb chop. And they, I, I, I knew in my head they were poor. They couldn't afford these encyclopedia. Actually, he knew he was rich. And that had a profound effect on me. The fact that he, and I'm not trying to sentimentalize it, but it made me just question all that I was and what my identity was and what was rich and what was poor. He had very little, but he gave almost of what he had, he gave to a stranger who was trying to sell him encyclopedia. Um, it was extraordinary. So Paul's doing this appealing to the Corinthian church, and then he talks about their past record and their high standards, and they wouldn't want to drop them, would they? And he stresses their need to put words into action he reminds them that life has a way of repaying bounty with bounty and the sparing spirit with sparing spirit. Don't be mean. So the way we give is important. In chapter 9, there's that, that lovely verse in, in verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. The way we give is important. And he didn't want the Corinthians just to give because he's nagging them but to do it out of a grateful heart, not a grudging spirit. God loves a cheerful giver because he himself is a cheerful giver. And of course, we see it in creation all around us, this beautiful summer days we've had, you know. I've been looking at my vegetable patch and the, the wrens had some chicks and they're all around. And you can't help but see that, that I've got long-tailed tits, like a flock around my garden at the moment. God doesn't just make birds. He makes varieties of birds, doesn't he? He doesn't just make ap apples for us to eat. There's varieties of apples. Um, God is almost profligate in his creation. Um, 
generous. And, of course, Jesus in his acts says, look at God. Look what God is like when he's feeding the 5,000, when he's turning water into wine, when there's the incredible catch of fish. You know, this is not a theology of scarcity. This is a theology of abundance. God has plenty. It's you who think you've got, not got enough, but God's got loads. Rely on him. This is what God is like. Be like him. God's grace to us is infinite and not measured out. So we who receive it are to show generosity without measure and calculation. So it's for us to be a ready, not a reluctant response. But Paul isn't just encouraging us to be um, casual or impulsive. He's saying each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give. So you think about it, pray about it. The inward resolve is followed by decisive and cheerful giving. And I know you as a church, you have a, a culture of this. And last year when there was difficulty in, with finances, you as a church came together and said, we need to meet this shortfall. And you did it amazingly uh, with great generosity and sacrifice. And I honor you for that. But planned giving and proportionate giving isn't the norm, I, th I think, unfortunately, in many of our churches. Um, and we know it's good to give regularly uh, because we know church bills and heating bills and light have to be paid regularly. Um, and the beauty about tithing and proportionate giving is that everyone, in a way, is giving equally in God's eyes, fairly. So if you're a pensioner on just over £100 a week, and you give £10. If you're earning £400 a week, you give £40. It's, it's seen as fair. And we remember the story of the widow's might and how Jesus said she gave everything she had. She gave much more than those Pharisees. She gave everything. I used to get farmers moaning in um, South Cheshire and Somerset saying, oh, bad year, vicar. Ooh, no, not going to be able to. And I said, well, no, you, it's easy, really. You just put a beast aside, don't you? And if you think you're a quite a well-off farm, you should put a, a heifer aside or a bull. And if you're not so good, a lamb or a pig. Um, and if the market's good, God will do well. If the market's not good, you know, it won't be. You've put something proportionate to what you have aside. Um, they got it. They didn't like it, but they understood it because it was about proportionate giving. Um, and for me, I discovered when I was trying to um, teach on proportionate and giving and in these small rural churches that actually only take a few families to get it, ordinary families, and the income went up massively. It's relying on the few to give proportionately and sacrificially is what makes the difference. We all can make a difference. I had a very wealthy parishioner. Jiffy Bags, you've heard of Jiffy Bags? He was behind that. It's in South Cheshire. We used to call, it, I used to call him Mr. Jiffy. 
And he said to me, I'd been doing this teaching on generous giving, sacrificial giving, etc., etc. And he came up to me, Mark, and he said, he'd done the calculations. He said, Mark, if everyone tithed or gave proportionately, the church would be rich. And he didn't think that was what it should be. The church was for, you know, you give things to the church because it's this, that, and the other. And I said, no, that's the point. If we have the wealth, we can then do the things God wants us to do. I think he let that wash over his head, but never mind. And we know that giving is also, and Paul says here, it's like sowing. Paul knew the tight-fisted Corinthians, and they were in his mind when he wrote, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Implicit in this proverb is the bountiful generosity of God. You see it in sowing and harvesting. You know, depending on the weather, um, from each seed of wheat sown, you can get 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold out of one seed. So whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You know, and if you're, from a business point of view, it's basically speculate to accumulate, isn't it? The more you invest in, the more you're going to get out. Um, so there's practical outworkings here. And you don't have this problem, but some churches I know, they, in the winter, to save money, they won't put the heating on. Well, it's all right for the regulars. They come with all their coats and everything. But if you have a newcomer come and they walk into a cold church, they're never going to come back, or very unlikely to. And it's like we used to serve that horrible coffee, didn't we, in the 80s? Chicory coffee. It sort of fizzed, didn't it, when you got it? Cheap refreshments. Stuff that you wouldn't serve at home got served in church. Well, you know, what's that saying to newcomers and what have you? Anyway, that, that's little stuff, but you understand what I'm saying about the principle. And we've all seen it where churches behave in different ways. These, in a benefice, I had two churches that were similar in many ways, but so different in attitude. Uh, St. Bartholomew's was a listed building. It had reserves of £100,000, which were being preserved for the day when they had to repair the roof. And there was a St. David's church, slightly smaller, unlisted, small reserves, only 2,000. St. Bartholomew's, they wouldn't contemplate adapting any of their services to be family-friendly or to help young people have access. Um, They wanted to charge the church school for using the church building at festivals for the heat and light. And, And when the roof did need repairing... The cost wasn't 100,000, it was 200,000, but members of the wider community were reluctant to respond because they knew the church was rich and remote. Whereas St. David's, they did vote to introduce a service for all ages. They also gave 500 pounds, almost a quarter of their reserves, towards uniforms, flags and equipment for um, brownies and guides units. It was actually very canny. They bought all their equipment, so then the brownies and the guides came every month to a family service, along with their grandparents and parents to see their darlings. The congregation grew, the money came in, they were well in. I'm not saying church is all an investment, but you could see they were canny. And when they had to come to repair things, 
for their church. The people in the wider community knew how generous St. David's was. They were willing to give. They even wrote to the local government um, to allow them to make changes in their building so they could put kitchen units in and what have you. Completely different attitude. So sparingly, you reap sparingly. So generously, and you reap generously. We also know how, I mean, was it Neil Brace? I think they, well, you'll know better than me, when they did the Trinity Centre, cost nearly a million pounds, didn't it, or 900,000. But they decided they were going to tithe an amount to build a building in Africa somewhere with a parish. Yeah, and, and God honoured that. They did it to a very high spec, didn't they, the Trinity Centre, and they gave away 90,000 pounds for an equivalent building somewhere else. And God honoured that generosity. So sowing. Giving is like sowing. And giving also leads to blessing. The generous giver will be further blessed with harvest of righteousness. God will continue to bless you with both the means and the opportunity for being gracious. You will be enriched for great generosity. It's quite, you know, when I used to stand before churches and say, look, if you give away, God will give to you. That's the way it works. It's a spiritual law. You give things away, God gives to you. And it's quite hard to to teach that because it doesn't sound, it sounds a bit daft. But it's true. And I remember having a battle with a church. It wasn't much. And we had something with the church school. And I said, we need to give the school 500 pounds and for their schoolhouse or some equipment we needed 20,000 and I'd said foolishly you know God will provide he will honor this I went away thinking oh Mark do you know the next day I got a check I got a letter from someone not in the parish from elsewhere for the exact amount I couldn't believe it. I know that sound. It didn't happen every time, but it did happen that a time. And that church needed to know about that. 500 pounds didn't seem a lot, in, even in 1993. But actually, for that church to learn, when they'd made this PCC decision after a lot of wrangling, but felt it was the right thing to do, it was a great teaching lesson for them. That if you give away, God gives to you. And God provides Now, it's not a theology of prosperity that Paul's putting in here. Um, In the New Testament, enrichment is seen as spiritual fruitfulness and caring support in the family of Christians. What Paul promises to the generous giver is not wealth in return, but all that you require, all that you need, and also sufficient for every good work. So you can go on being generous. The Corinthians' giving will result in thanksgiving to God as the hungry saints in Jerusalem receive food um, following the famine. They will raise their hearts and voices in many expressions of thanks to God. So other people are going to be glad and be pointed to God because of this gift. So through the givers and the organizer Paul, many will praise God. When we opt out of giving, we opt out of the privilege of meeting human needs 
and also deny ourselves the honour of promoting God's glory. So we're saved, I don't mean to say that we're saved by good works, we're not. We're saved by God's grace. It's not through good works such as giving. If you like, giving is the proof. Um, It's almost the evidence of of the good news of Jesus Christ. Confirmation um, that we are saved. And thirdly and finally, practical kindness and gifts establish friendship. Bonds of affection and prayer between giver and receiver. And they're going to pray for you and be glad for you. And we know that we're one in Christ. Receivers of generous gifts see God's grace at work and then they almost become generous too. I'll never forget, and, and I almost um, at college, when I was at theological college, and didn't have a lot of money at the time, but I'd let my trousers go into disrepair. And I liked this pair of trousers, so I tried to repair them. And I wasn't very good at sewing. Uh, but I had a patch over my uh, jeans. And someone must have taken pity on me and, and left five pounds in my pigeonhole. And I, oh, no. You know, they didn't realize I'm really not that bad. But it made me then want to give something to somebody else. There's something about that, isn't it? When you receive, you also uh, want to then give too. So Paul thanks God for his indescribable gift, Jesus Christ. There is a spiritual law. The more we give, the more we receive. The more we encourage others, the more we are encouraged. By helping others, we help ourselves. By strengthening others, we are strengthened. By lifting someone else's load, our own load is somehow lighter Encouragement is not something that perishes in the using. It increases by giving it away. This is the kingdom of God. The way up is down. The way to become great is to become a servant. The way to life is by dying to self. So let us pray that we may learn and grow in this holy habit of sacrificial giving following our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.